the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Ring of Truth with our pastor and teacher, Dan Sexton, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City. Please join Pastor Dan as he teaches through God's Word. What will it take for our nation to look to our Maker for help? What else has to happen? How much worse does it need to get before we're humbled as a nation and we stop looking to the works of our hands? We stop looking to ourselves for answers. We stop looking to our politicians. Or we stop looking to legislation. And we look to our maker. What else has to happen? How bad does it have to get? What will it take for our nation to turn to God? It took Judah getting almost completely wiped out as a nation before they looked to their maker. Today, Pastor Dan teaches they forgot the God of their salvation and they didn't even think about him as a nation. Instead of crying out to the Lord first, they looked to Syria to save them. Our nation has turned so far from the Lord, it can be discouraging as a believer. However, God is still at work, and he uses the prayers of his people to accomplish much. Be on your knees for your country. And now open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 17, as we join Pastor Dan for today's edition of Ring of Truth. In that day, verse 4, now this is a phrase that we're going to see quite a bit in chapter 17. It, it usually, in the, in the Old Testament, it's referring to the end times. In that day, it shall come to pass that the glory of Jacob will wane and the fatness of his flesh will grow lean. And so here's a picture of Israel, you know, just, just wasting away as a nation. It shall be as when the harvester gathers the grain and reaps the heads with his arm. It shall be as he who gathers heads of grain in the valley of Rephaim. Rephaim is to the west of Jerusalem. It's in the kingdom of Judah. And so the people of Jerusalem and the people of Judah who received this letter, they're very familiar with that valley. It was a very fertile farming land. It was kind of like the breadbasket of the kingdom of Judah. And he says, It shall be as he who gathers heads of grain in the valley of Rephaim, yet gleaning grapes will be left in it like the shaking of an olive tree, two or three olives at the top of the uppermost bow, four or five in its most fruitful branches, says the Lord God of Israel. Uh, here the Lord describes the judgment of the northern kingdom as a harvest. In the Bible, harvest is used uh, figuratively in two different ways. It's used, first of all, uh, in the, the idea of bringing people into the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus talked about 
Um, he, he said, the harvest indeed is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray, therefore, that the Lord of the harvest will send out laborers into the harvest. And Jesus was speaking of going out and sharing the gospel with people. And the harvest in that situation is you know, people coming to salvation in Jesus Christ and bringing them into the kingdom of God. And so harvest is used in that way, that idea of bringing people into the kingdom of God. But harvest is also used in Scripture as a picture of God's judgment. And that's how it's used here, as a picture of God's judgment. I'll give you a couple examples. In the Gospels, in Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist, when he's describing Jesus, who is about to begin his public ministry, he says of Jesus, his winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. They are using the picture of Jesus with a winnowing fork, you know, where they would, uh, they would separate the wheat from the tra- chaff, or the, the grain from the chaff. And the chaff is burned up, speaking of judgment. In Revelation chapter 14, uh, verse 14. So this, this, is, um, this is the harvest uh, that takes place uh, at the end of Armageddon. It says in Revelation 14, 14, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand was a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And then it goes on. Then another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came forth uh, from the altar who had power over fire. And he cried with a loud cry uh, to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city, and the blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs. You know, the winepress of the wrath of God. Speaking of harvest, this this harvest as God's judgment. And, And here in Isaiah, that's the picture with Isaiah. It's a picture of, of judgment. Uh, uh, This is Israel after God's judgment, after Assyria comes into that land and conquers that land and conquers the northern kingdom and deports most of the Jewish population out of the land, leaving only a small number of people left in the land. Uh, The Lord describes Israel as a grain field after the grain has been harvested And you can picture that with maybe just a few stalks of grain left in the field. Uh, He describes it as an olive tree after the harvest with just two or three olives left in the top of the trees. They um, harvest olives by hand. They use a ladder and they use sticks and they'll take sticks and stick them up in the tree and shake the branches to 
to try to shake off the olives. And they can't get all the olives off. So, you know, after the harvest, there's still a a few olives left in the tree. That's the description that's given here. The northern kingdom of Israel, after Assyria comes through and conquers them, they will be devastated. The land will be devastated by the Assyrians. The land will be emptied of its people. The land will be left desolate. Now look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, In that day, in that day, when that happens, a man will look to his maker, and his eyes will have respect for the Holy One of Israel. So when when this happens, when Assyria comes in and devastates the land, we're told in verse 7 that some, some in the nation will finally repent and turn back to God. It says again, in that day a man will look to his maker and his eyes will have respect for the Holy One of Israel. He will not look to the altars, the work of his hands. He will not respect what his fingers have made, nor the wooden images, nor the incense altars. In that day, some in Israel will finally look to God for help. And no longer look to their altars, no longer look to their idols that they've made with their hands. But, listen, the nation will literally be destroyed before the people turn to God. The nation will literally be destroyed before the people start turning back to God and stop looking to their idols and stop looking to the works of their own hands. The Lord is saying here, this is what it will take to humble the people of this nation, to get them to finally turn back. It will take the nation being ruined before the people look to their maker and have respect once again for the Holy One of Israel. I don't know about you, I read that and I think about our own nation. Think about what's going on in our nation and what has been going on and all of the trouble that we have and all of the issues we have. And I read that and I think, well, what will it take? What will it take for our nation? What will it take for our nation to look to our maker for help? What else has to happen? How much worse does it need to get before we're humbled as a nation? And we stop looking to the works of our hands. We stop looking to ourselves for answers. We stop looking to our politicians. Or we stop looking to legislation. And we look to our maker. What else has to happen? How bad does it have to get? Before we call upon the name of the Lord. You just look at where the nation is and the things that have taken place. What have you heard? Don't pray. Don't tell us you're going to pray. And I understand the sentiment in the sense that, you know, people want action. But it has gotten to the place in our nation where prayer is despised by a lot of people. And where if you say you hear from Jesus Christ, you're considered to have a mental illness now in our nation. We've lost respect for the Holy One of Israel. In our nation. So what else has to happen? 
For Israel, they had to get to the point that there were only a few olives left on the branch, where they were almost completely wiped out as a nation before they finally looked to their maker. That's how bad it got for them. That's what it, that's what it took to get Israel to look to their maker. What will it take for us? I was reading today about uh, Billy Graham, and in 1957, uh, Billy Graham had a crusade at Madison Square Garden that was scheduled to last for six weeks. Which just that alone is phenomenal that he could that they could schedule a crusade every night of the week for six weeks, and people would show up. But not only did people show up. They had to extend the crusade to 16 weeks, to over 100 days. It was like 112 days. And the only reason they stopped is because Madison Square Garden had some other event scheduled, and they could no longer rent Madison Square Garden. So this crusade in New York City went on for 16 weeks. Over 2.3 million people attended that crusade. Every night, they had a meeting there. The three major news networks, back in 1957, there were only three, ABC, NBC, CBS. Every night on the news, they gave a live update of what was happening at Madison Square Garden. Saturday nights during the crusade, the crusade was broadcasted every Saturday night live on ABC. The New York Times published the full text of Billy Graham's sermons from the crusade. It's estimated that 93 million Americans watched the crusade live on television on Saturday nights when it was broadcasted. We have lost our respect for the Holy One of Israel. I think it's interesting. I don't know if it's prophetic or not. I don't think that it is. But I think it is interesting that, that Billy Graham would pass off the scene when our nation is as bad as it is spiritually. And that we are so far away from those days as a nation spiritually. And again, you wonder, what's it going to take to get us back to that place where we want someone preaching the gospel live on a major network at 8 o'clock on Saturday nights for the whole nation to see? What's it going to take to get us back there? goes on here in verse 9. In that day, his strong cities will be as a forsaken bow and an uppermost branch, which they left because of the children of Israel, and there will be desolation. The Assyrians will remove the Israelites from their land. The cities will be abandoned, as I said. And look at verse 10. Because, so here's why it's going to happen. Because you have forgotten the God of your salvation. You've turned away from the God of your salvation and have not been mindful of the rock of your stronghold. The reason that this judgment came upon the nation of Israel was because they had forgotten the God of their, their salvation and they were not mindful of the rock of their stronghold. That means they didn't even think about God. As they were facing all these troubles as a nation, they didn't even think to call upon the name of the Lord nationally as a nation. 
They instead, they trusted in their walled cities and their alliance with Syria, that that would save them, that would protect them. They never thought about God. He was so far from their national uh, conscience that they didn't even think to call upon his name. They had they just forgotten about him. You know, it says in, in Jeremiah, and I'll just read it to you. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that hold no water. They have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water, and instead they're trusting in hewn cisterns, things that they've made, but their cisterns hold no water. (laughs) And they're trusting in these cisterns, but their cisterns are flawed and they hold no water. He goes on to say in verse 10, Therefore you will plant pleasant plants and set out foreign seedlings. In that day you will make your plant to grow. And in the morning, you will make your seed to flourish, but the harvest will be as a heap of ruins in the day of grief and desperate sorrow. He says here, you know, that they, they planted pleasant plants and they set out foreign seedlings, foreign seeds, meaning they looked to a foreign nation. They looked to Syria to save them. And it says in verse 11 that, you know, that the seeds grew Uh, and flourished initially, but in the end, there was no harvest. In other words, the plans that the northern kingdom came up with of of looking to Syria, making this alliance with Syria, and entering into this agreement with them, this confederation with them, at first, it it looked like it was going to succeed. It looked like it was a good idea. It looked like that they were going to be victorious through this. It was going to be successful, but in the end, it didn't work. In the end, it led to ruin, it led to grief, it led to sorrow, and that's all that they got out of it. Just a disappointment. Now here, all their hope was in this, and it just was a big disappointment. Because they weren't looking to the Lord. Verse 12, Woe to the multitude of many people, who make a noise like the roar of the seas and to the rushing of nations that make a rushing like the rushing of mighty waters. This is describing the sound of the invading Assyrian army. It will be like, you know, the sound of rushing water, the roar of the sea. The nations will rush like the rushing of many waters, but God will rebuke them and they will flee far away and be chased like the chaff of the mountains before the wind like a rolling thing before the whirlwind, like a tumbleweed. Then behold, at evening time, trouble, and before the morning, the trouble is no more. This is the portion of those who plunder us and the lot of those who rob us. Assyria will practically wipe out the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, but when they enter into the southern kingdom of Judah, remember this is written to Judah, and they attempt to attack Jerusalem, God will stop them. God will rebuke them, and they will flee far away, it says. And and this actually takes place in Isaiah chapter 37. When we get there, we'll read about it. But Isaiah chapter 37, verse 36, if you're taking notes, it tells us that when the Assyrian army came to attack Jerusalem, they camped just outside the city 
on Mount Scopus, just to the east of Jerusalem. And we're told there in Isaiah 37 that uh, in the night, an angel of the Lord killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. So that when the citizens of Jerusalem woke up the next morning, all they saw outside the city wall were dead corpses of the Assyrian army. This is recorded in secular history as well. Other nations wrote about this defeat of the Assyrian army. And so that's what is meant here um, in verse 14 when, he, when it says, At evening time, the people of, of Judah thought, you know, they're in grave trouble, but before morning, their trouble was no more. The Lord delivered Jerusalem. And he says, This is the portion of those who plunder us and the lot of those who rob us, speaking of Jerusalem. And the Bible says that Israel is the apple of God's eye. And the Bible says that God has put his name on the city of Jerusalem, that Jerusalem belongs to him. And so any nation that comes against his people or against his nation, his land, Israel, or that city, Jerusalem, they're really coming against the Lord. And they're not going to succeed. And you can just look at history. And you can look at history and you can see that no nation has succeeded against Jerusalem. Jerusalem has been destroyed 17 times, and it's been rebuilt 18 times. It still exists as a city today. But you can go through the, the history, and there's no, there's no Egyptian empire. There's no Assyrian empire. There's no uh, Babylonian empire. There's no Persian empire anymore. Uh, and you can go, there's no Roman Empire, all the way down to the 20th century. There, there's no Third Reich anymore. There's no Nazi Germany anymore. All of these nations that have come against God's people have been destroyed ultimately, but God's people still exist. Israel's a nation again. Jerusalem is still the holy city. It's still God's city. His name is still there because they belong to God. And so he says here, this, this is what happens to those who try to plunder us and the lot of those who try to rob us. Then we get to chapter 18. Now we have the fifth burden, and this is the burden against Ethiopia. Ethiopia is also called Cush in your Bible. Uh, Cush is also mentioned in Ezekiel 38 as one of the attacking nations, along with Russia and Persia, that try to invade Israel in the last days. He asked me how I That's all we have time for today on Ring of Truth. We're so glad you joined Pastor Dan Sexton for his verse-by-verse study through the book of Isaiah. This extraordinary book is quoted in the New Testament more than any other Old Testament book. Plus, it provides us with the most comprehensive picture of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. It includes the full scope of his life and ministry, from his virgin birth to his sacrificial death to his resurrection and second coming in glory. If you'd like a copy of today's message, you'll be able to find it on our website, calvaryec.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an edition of this program. That website again is calvaryec.com. We'd love to hear from you too and learn how Ring of Truth has blessed you. Please take some time soon to give us a call at 410-491-4592. 
Let us know how God is working in your life and if there's anything that we can be praying for during this study of Isaiah. That number again is 410-491-4592. With that, our time with you has come to an end. We pray the Lord bless and keep you and that your faith is deepened with each passing day. Tune in next time to continue our study of the book of Isaiah right here on Ring of Truth. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.